Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Good morning, Lifehouse. Good morning, Lifehouse. I'm really excited to be bringing to you the second part of our Relationships 101 series. Uh, Hold on one second. So relationships. Relationships are are great. Uh, They're something that we all need for a filling, fun, and good life. But it's something I think that we all struggle with. If you have issues with one or more of your relationships, say amen. So there was some of you that didn't say amen, and I wonder if you have any relationships. Because I think it's really inherent in having relationships to have issues because we are people. Uh, God designed us, and uh, Pastor Dwayne talked about this last week. God designed us to be relational beings, people that need other people. I mean, even if you look back at the very beginning of a creation, even before that, in Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2, God showed himself as a relational being, being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in Genesis 2.18, as Dwayne preached last week, he said it was not good for man to be alone. So we are designed to be relational beings because God is a relational being. I remember the first time I really examined my relationships. And that was, uh, we were starting up a men's group at another church probably about eight or nine years ago, and uh, I was leading up the men's ministry there, and we were having a breakfast, and there was probably about 100-plus guys in the room. And I asked a question, and this is the question I asked. If you were away on business and your wife needed help, is there a man that you would trust to call to help her? And unfortunately, only about 20 people in that whole room could say that they had someone that they trusted enough to be able to help their spouse when they weren't around. And that was really eye-opening to me because really we have a deficit of relationship, of authentic and real relationship. And the sad thing about that is, is we have all this technology now that connects us. There's so many people. There's 8 billion, almost 8 billion people in this world now. And inside every single one of us, we have an inherent knowledge that knows we need relationship. But... We are more lonely now and relationally bankrupt now than we've ever been. Relationships are important, and I think we all could agree. Relationships, people that have healthy relationships live longer. They're 50% less likely to die prematurely. People that have healthy relationships recover more quickly from illnesses and stress. People with healthy relationships are healthier by every health measure. And then this one statistic really blew me away, and that is this. People with healthy relationships, if they, okay, if if they double their friend group, their contentment level goes up as much as it would as if they had a 50% pay increase. And I think everyone in this room would say, if I could get a 50% pay increase, you'd be pretty happy with that. But I don't think we typically think, if I doubled my group of friends, I would be typically 
I, I would be content and happy with that. But that's what the research shows with over 5,000 people. And then also, if you don't have healthy relationships, all those things I talked about, it's exactly the opposite. You're more stressed out, you're sicker, you're less content, there's less joy, there's less hope, there's less fun in the life. So my question, my first question to all of you is this. Do you have uncommon relationships? Do you have uncommon relationships? But before we really dive into the scripture, I just want to go back into some of the things that we covered. And the first is, you know, we're, PJ said we're going uh, through the book of Philippian. And Philippian is also called the book of joy. It was written by Paul while he was in a jail. Uh, and it's probably one of the most practical books that Paul has written. The other thing is, is uh, last week, uh, last month, PJ preached on Philippians 1. And that was preaching really to the perspective that each of us should have as a follower of Christ. And no matter if things are going good or things are going bad, we should count it all joy and we should be thankful and have a heart of gratitude. Last week, Pastor Dwayne, I think he's in here somewhere. Okay. Pastor Dwayne preached on uh, Philippians 1 through 11 and really talking to unity and how important unity is to healthy relationships. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about humility today. And, and the reason I'm going to talk about humility is because humility drives into unity. It's, it's a predecessor. It's something that has to occur before you can be unified. So what does it mean to be humble? I think if we ask most people that aren't in a church what it means to be humble, they're really looking at something like you're subservient, you're less than, you're below. I mean, when we hear the word humble, it usually has a very negative connotation, like you're a slave, servant, whatever. That's how most people think of the word humble. But the Bible describes humility as meekness, lowliness, and absence of self. It is something that comes from the inside. It is not your outward actions, but it's an inward demeanor. Humility is dying to yourself. It is dying to yourself. Uh, there's someone in this room right now, uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but I love this man. And the reason I love this man is because he's so transparent and so honest. And one of the things we were talking, and I was like, man, you got to die to yourself. you got to die to yourself. He was like, Carrie, that's hard. It's hard. I just can't do it. It's hard. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we all struggle with being humble, and we all struggle with dying to ourselves. Humility is dying to yourself, just not to die to yourself, but it's to die to yourself, to submit yourself to God first, but also to submit to other people, putting aside your wants, your needs, and your desires, and looking out for someone else. Mark Twain had a quote, and I, I, I absolutely love this quote. Few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Than the annoyance of a good example. So it's really easy for someone to say, oh, you should be humble. Because most of us are going to go, Psh, whatever, you ain't humble, so why am I going to be humble? But if someone actually lives that out, it changes the game. 
They have set a standard that we have to follow. Jesus was that standard. Jesus is our standard of humility. And he said it, and it's hard to achieve. And you know what? None of us will ever achieve the humility that Christ did. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be training to get to that point. Jesus is not only a good example, he is the perfect example of humility. That should inspire us. Jesus was not just our savior, but he was also our model of what is humanly possible. Jesus is our standard, not just for humility, but for all things. When, excuse me, one second, I need water. (laughs) Dry mouth. One of the things, uh, now we're going to go to the scripture. So the scripture starts out, therefore. And one of the things that PJ always says is when there's a therefore, you have to ask yourself, what's it there for? Very good. So the therefore. So the therefore is there because if you look at the verses preceding verse 12, 1 through 11, especially towards the beginning of that, it really sets it up really well that Jesus was our example of humility. Jesus was the example of humility when he didn't count himself equal with God. Jesus was the example of humility when he was incarnated, when he became a man, but he didn't just become a man, he became a servant of all men. He humbled himself. Jesus was the example of humility when he died a death on a cross, a gruesome death on a cross, so that we may be saved. So Jesus is that example, and we should obey that example. Humility and pride are really the opposite things. And pride is very often called the vice, the chief sin, because there's so many other sins that come out of pride. And at the root of pride, it is esteeming yourself above everyone else. And humility is really the opposite of that. If we look at Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. PJ's preached on this uh, many times before. Uh, and there, it's, this is something that we've, um, we've, we really say at Lifehouse quite a bit. And that is a submission competition. Submission competition. And that's what this verse is pointing to. Most guys want to look at Ephesians 5.22 where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That's where most guys want to look. But if you look at 5.21, it's really, really clear. Submit to one, one another out of reverence for Christ. And this just isn't husband to wife and wife to husband. But this is in all of your relationships. Submit one to another. Again, submitting is hard. All you have to do is look at a child. That's all you have to do. I'm not going to call out one of my grandsons, Roman, but Roman, I'm going to tell you, I love that boy to death. He can be as sweet as he's sweet when he wants to be sweet, but he's 50-50 because when he's being selfish, it's clear. And that is inside each and every one of us. We are sinful and we are selfish. <clears throat> so, uh, Pastor Dwayne preached on unity, and there's a graphic I want to show you guys. So, Pastor Dwayne spoke on unity, and this is a, a this is a circular 
representation of what it means to have an uncommon life. And, and the reason there's no start and stop is because this process occurs over and over and over again. So it starts with humility and understanding, guess what? You ain't all that. Jesus did that work. And we have to follow the example that Jesus gave us. And as we do that, we can live in unity. And as we have unity, we can have health, uncommon relationships. And as we have uncommon relationships, we can have an uncommon life. And this is something, I'm telling you, the further you are in this walk, the more you have to do this over and over and over again. And it's a dying to self. This humility is a dying to self over and over again. If you're married, you guys understand this. Because there's, there's some weeks, there's some months, sometimes there's some days where every day you got to die to yourself a little bit for your spouse. And that's what we're called to do. C.S. Lewis has an amazing quote, and it says this. <clears throat> Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That's, I'm going to read that one more time. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Jesus didn't think less of himself. He knew his identity and who he was. He thought about his father's will before he thought about his will. And because he did that, he was able to do the father's will. And the same thing applies to us. The less we think about ourselves, the more room we give the father to fill us and to do those things that he desires. Because Jesus knew his status and identity from his father, he was able to leverage his status and identity and power to serve others. And we've got the same call on our lives to use the power, the, the, the status, identity, and power to serve others. I want to show you guys something because I really want to drive home the point of what it means to be humble. If my lovely wife could come up. You guys are probably wondering what this tall ladder is over here for. All right, so at the top of this ladder is Jesus. And this is the world. And we're far apart. This is where we are. Because guess what? I'm selfish. She's a sinner. And, and I'm, I'm a sinner, too. But that's just, <laughs> that's just, that's just the way we, we are. Sin came into the world. It corrupted every single one of us. And I'm always going to look out for myself. So when I'm looking up this ladder, and I finally recognize, and I can see myself as I really am, I look towards Jesus, and I get on the ladder. And this is salvation here. It's getting on the ladder. But there's some people in this room they ain't gone no further up this ladder than this first rung. They've been saved for 30 years, and they ain't moved. And then they're wondering why their life has not changed. They're wondering why their life ain't changed. Why are my relationships jacked up? Why does all this stuff keep on happening to me? But they have not gone up the ladder. So moving up the ladder, right, now I'm up here. And, and this is where transformation occurs. It's where sanctification occurs. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. 
So as we soak in God's word, as we meditate on his word, as we worship, as we pray, as we train, we renew our mind, and guess what it does? It changes the way we see things. See, because when I'm on this ladder right here, I'm actually, my distance from my wife is further than it was when I was on the ground. But as I climb the ladder, my, my view, my perspective of my wife changes. And now I can see her through a gospel lens. I can see her the way the Father sees her. And instead of uh, looking at her as something less, I will humble myself and not look down at her, but encourage her, not with just words, but with my example and say, baby, come on. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Yes, that's good. Don't go too high. You know, I'm going to get in some bad trouble if she falls. I'm going to hear about this for a long time. So, um, so that's, that's the first step. It's the transformation. The first step is just getting on the ladder, and that's what some people in here have to do. They have to get on the ladder. And then the second step is allowing God to do what he needs to do, to, to renew your mind, to transform who you are. But as we go further up this ladder, one of the things that we understand is humility it's not about being powerless. It is not about being powerless. Humility is about yielding your power over for the greater good. That's what humility is about. As I said, Jesus is our standard. Jesus was not powerless. When he was stuck up on that cross, he could have had a million angels just like that. But he decided to yield his power for a greater good. And we're called to do the same thing. But, but just because I'm on this ladder and just because my wife's on this ladder, it doesn't mean we're not going to have issues. There's still going to be conflict. And why? Because there's parts of my life that have not been transformed, and they're going to rub against the parts of her life that haven't been transformed, and we're going to have issues. Every single person in here is the same way. We all have untransformed pieces. And we won't be whole until we get to glory, until we, until we get to heaven. So I, instead of looking at her with, with an eye of pride and looking down at her, I, again, I can see her with a gospel lens, understand that she's broken, and understand that I'm broken, and it changes the game. So as we continue to go up, keep on going up, babe. Come on up a little bit more. There you go. All right, so now she's higher than me. And this is what's going to happen in a relationship. And this, is, this doesn't apply just to husband and wife. This is all your relationships. There are times when I'm going to be the one elevating her, and there's going to be other times where she's going to need to elevate me. She's going to need to encourage me. She's going to be the one to lift me up. And that's just the natural way things work. That's how it should work. I mean, we see people that together are so much more powerful than when they're apart. And that's what this is. It's not 50-50, but it's 100 and 100. Or better yet, it's a 120-120. Because I'm better with her than without her. And, and we all have that available to us if we can just shift our perspective and our mindset. So as we go up one more, you good? As we go up one more, you can see now we're closer than we've ever been. We're unified. But something so much more important has happened. 
And that is, now we are closer to Christ. And that is so much more important. And I love you. But. But. <laughs> Jesus means more. Yeah. He means more. So we are higher now than we've ever been. But the thing is, and I didn't, I really debated on even talking about this point. When you're up here, guess what? You feel vulnerable. There's danger. You may get hurt. If that rung gives out, she's going to get hurt, and I'm going to be even hurt worse later. There's no doubt in my mind. So we have to remember, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because if I'm doing this the whole time, and I'm looking at the past, if I'm looking at, oh, I w it was so much easier when I was selfish. I didn't have to worry about getting hurt. I didn't have to worry about getting hurt. Then you, can't, then, then you won't stay on the ladder. You got to look up. You got to look up. It doesn't mean you can't glance back to say thank you for where you've brought me. But you can't stay there. You cannot stay there. So I hope, I hope this has helped for you guys to understand what it means to be humble. Come on, Dan. Give it up for my wife. Turn this off. Okay, there we go. We survived the first one. Now we only have one more. Woo. All right. So you may be thinking to yourself, oh, that was a cute little sermon illustration. But humbling ourselves in reality is much, much more difficult. And you are exactly right. You are exactly right. So what I want to share with you today are a few steps on how you can grow in humility, how you can grow in humility. The first thing we have to understand is, I think we all have a desire to be humble. If you're a follower of Christ, you want to be like Christ, and you want to be humble. Just like, at, well, it's February. A lot of people made New Year's resolutions, and they're like, okay, this is the year I'm going to get fit. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to get myself right, and people want to do that. So, the desire isn't the problem. The desire is not the problem. The problem is training for accomplishment of that desire. Training for a new way of thinking that creates a new mind in each of us. And how do we train for humility? The answer is very clear in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, which reads, Work out your own salvation, your own. It doesn't say work out your wife's. It doesn't say work out your kids or your friends or your boss or your employee. It says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, with fear and trembling. And this is a fear and trembling that's not like a slave cowering down to a master. This is a fear and trembling of someone that understands without the love and grace and mercy of a powerful God, they are spiritually bankrupt. They are spiritually bankrupt. So fear and trembling also means this. I love my wife. I, and people that know me know I love my wife. So part of that is if, I, if you love your spouse, if you love someone else, the one thing you don't want to do is hurt them. So that's the other part of fear and trembling. I love her so much, 
I'm afraid of myself hurting her. That's what they're talking about with fear and trembling. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And I'll talk about the, uh, the God working in you here in a second. Working out here means to bring to completion. And I just want to make sure everyone understands that the salvation we're talking about here is not the instantaneous salvation that you receive when you say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm a sinner. It's not that. That happens instantaneously. And I'm going to read this because I want to make sure I get it right. This salvation is the continuing work of sanctification. There is an instantaneous work and a continual work of the Spirit. There is a work that God does for us on the cross and a work that God does in us by His Spirit. One is instant and the other is continual. And again, if you're down at that bottom rung of the ladder, you have done the instantaneous part. It's climbing a ladder that's the continual part. If um, There's quite a few folks in here that work out or want to work out. Or want to work out, yeah. So um, the good thing is, is I, I, love the, I love when spiritual concepts and physical concepts line up. Because they typically do. We just have to see where they line up. And uh, every, at the beginning of every year, what happens? People make New Year's resolutions, and what is it? I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get sexy again. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. People do it all the time. But the statistics say 80% of those people that sign up in January, by May, they've, they don't have a membership anymore. And long before that, they've already given up. They've just finally canceled their membership. They finally canceled their membership. Also, statistics say only one in five Christians have read their whole Bible. One in five Christians have read their whole Bible. Again, I don't see this as a desire problem because I think we want to be biblically literate. I think we want to have a closer spiritual walk. And again, the problem is not a desire problem. It is transferring that desire into training and working it out. So <clears throat> now I'm going to tell a little story about a person that actually comes to this church. And um, it was end of 2014. And uh, a really skinny guy came up to me. I was ushering at another church. And he was like, hey, Carrie, I can tell you work out, man. I'm ready to work out. I'm ready to get in shape, da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. And I was like, okay, cool, cool. Because I could see he had, he had the fire in his eyes. He was ready to do it. And, um, <laughs> and I, we, we talked for a little bit. And, and um, I told him, okay, man, man, no problem. It's Sunday. Meet me tomorrow at 5 at the gym. And he looks at me. And he's like, man, that works, man. I am so ready. I'm pumped. I get off at work at 4.30. I'll be at the gym at 5. Not a problem. And I looked at him and I said, no, brother, 5 in the morning. 5 in the morning. And the thing was, and this is where I knew this guy was a little, built a little different. Because usually, because I've, I've been asked that question many times. But usually when people hear that, they're like, uh, I'm good. I'm good. They want the change, but they don't want to really pay a call, price for the change. So he said, yeah, I'm in. 
And I'm going to tell you, this cat was at the gym. I mean, he was humiliated by my wife because I was working out with my wife then time and time again. But he was consistent. I mean, day after day, wanting to puke, sore. But he went year after year. And this is a picture of that guy. And his wife is so happy he got in the gym, and you can see why. I mean, look at those little arms, those bags under the eyes. And I don't even know what in the world he's eating. But, but yeah, so Pastor John, I mean, it, it really... So Pastor John, he was able to transfer a desire to working it out. And there's three steps to being able to transfer a desire to working it out. And the first is having a plan. Have a plan. Because don't you know there's a difference between exercise and training? So the problem is this. Most people that go to the gym at the beginning of the year, they go in there and exercise. And a lot of them think that they can exercise the way they did when they were 20 or in their teens. And then within a couple weeks, they're done because they're hurting too much. They haven't come up with a plan to train. See, the difference between training and exercise is the intention. Is the intention. And it's the same thing with our spiritual walks. We have to have an intention. And what is our intention? is to become more and more like Christ. We also have to be willing to correct our plans. What do I mean by that? There's times when you come up with a solid plan and you're like, okay, this is going to work, but everything tells you you need to make some modifications to that plan. And you know what? That's okay. Proverbs 16.9 says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Our plans need to be written in pencil for God to do what he needs to do within us. But we should plan. So have a plan. The second is to have a coach to get the most out of our efforts. If you're trying to get in shape, get a trainer or a more experienced workout partner. If you're trying to have a closer walk, have a spiritual mentor or someone that's a little bit more mature in, your, in their faith to walk alongside you. And the beautiful thing about this is, is if you're the one that's more spiritually mature, or you're the one that's in shape, you actually get more out of the relationship than the person you're helping. Good case in point. Where's Wes Schrader at? Wes in the, okay, Wes is out here. So Wes Schrader, uh, last year he had, he had heart surgery. And he knew he had to change some things about his life. And he came to me and he asked, hey, look, man, can you help me out? So we sat down. We came up with a diet plan, an exercise plan. And Wes has lost over 20 pounds. And I think he feels better now than he has in the last, what, 15, 20 years, Wes? He feels great. And he's still going down this path. But you know what? He's not the biggest, um, he's not the biggest person that's received something out of this. Because in my training him, it's made me, because I don't want to be the guy that says, do this and me not do it. I've been messing around with trying to get under two, well, to get to 200 pounds for 20 some years. <laughs> so as, as Wes is doing his thing, 
I'm doing exactly what I'm telling Wes to do, and now I'm at 200 pounds, see? Because I, because I also gained something from helping, and that's, and that's always going to be the case. So have a plan, have a coach. And the third thing, which is the most important thing, is, is to understand that the trainer and coach isn't your source. So we have to understand what our source is. If we look at the uh, verse again, it says, work out your own salvation, but what, what comes after that is, it's God that's working in you to change your will, which is your desires, and your actions. So God has got to do the work in you for you to work it out. God has got to do the work in you to work through you. And that's what we have to understand, that God is the one. <clears throat> oh, my goodness, time is flying. All right, so... <clears throat> So verses 12 and 13 clearly establish that Christ humbled himself uh, and that we should also humble ourselves, that we should work it out, work out our salvation. But to do that, God has to work in us. God working in us has to come before him working through us. If we work out our salvation, the natural byproduct will be we will become more humble. And in being more humble, remember that graphic, you have more unity you can have uncommon relationships, and you can live an uncommon life. So moving on to verses 14 and 15, they answer a couple of other questions, and that is, how are we, how are we to work out our salvation, and what's the purpose of working out our salvation? So verse 14 reads, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling is a word that um, really gets its origin from the Israelites when they were in the wilderness, and they would just, like, have this murmuring and complaining. And I think we all do that, like, oh, I can't believe he did that again. Oh, Jesus, he just doesn't care. Da, 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 da. Yeah, that was what the grumbling was. It's because they did that against not just Moses, but against God. Because even though God freed them from slavery, they were like, Okay, this food's not good enough. Where's our water coming from? So they grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. So the disputing is actually, you know, taking that grumbling to the next level and making it loud. Mean, angry, uh, divisive language. So those that's what he's talking about with grumbling and disputing. So what that does is it exposes our heart. Grumbling exposes our heart. Those things that we say under our breath expose what our perspective is and what our attitude is. And left unchecked, our perspective and attitude will turn into who we are and what we do. It all starts with your attitude. It all starts with your perspective. The right attitude can lead to right relationships, and the wrong attitude can destroy every single one of your relationships. <clears throat> so we do that. We don't grumble. We don't dispute because we are to shine, and this is the second part of the verse, among whom you, whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. You see, grumbling and disputing is horrible advertising for the kingdom of God. 
I mean, imagine us being out there and me and my wife or me and Dwayne getting in an argument in front of people, and they both know that we follow Christ. They're going to look at us, and we, we don't want none of that, God. It's horrible advertising for the kingdom. <clears throat> so having the right attitude of humility will lead to words spoken in humility. Imagine how transforming that would be. Imagine for a moment husbands that are humbling themselves to their wives, wives that are humbling themselves to their husbands, children humbling themselves to their parents. Imagine the world we would have. Imagine if every believer went to work and said, okay, I'm going to humble myself on the job, not just to my boss, but to my coworkers, my peers, and my employees. Imagine how families would be transformed, how churches would be transformed, how communities would be transformed, and how the world would be transformed. You see, we are to shine as lights in this world. And we could say that, okay, in Philippi, it was really dark and it was crooked and perverse. And if you're a little older, you would say, okay, 40 years ago, it wasn't as bad as it is today. But the thing that hasn't changed is this. People are people. People are selfish, not selfless. People are proud and not humble. People, people are carnal and not holy. Those things haven't changed. They have not changed. So I have in front of me a couple of flashlights. This flashlight right here is a solar-powered flashlight. So it has to stay in what to get power? The sun. It has to spend time in the sun to have power. And we can see that works pretty well. Yeah. So this flashlight, this flashlight needs to be in the sun. Just as much as we need to be in the word of God, we need to be in the fellowship of saints, we need to spend time in prayer, we need to spend time in worship if we are going to shine as lights. But the problem is this. A lot of us don't ever go in the sun. We've taken the first step on that ladder, and our light is really, really dim. It's almost, un, it's almost, it's almost like you can't see that light. This is you. This is me without Christ. There's nothing there. No light. So the question is this. Which light are you? Are you completely dead, spiritually dead because you don't have Christ? Are you spending time charging up in a regular, intentional way? Are you training to be charged up? Or have you stepped on that bottom rung of the ladder, and that's where you've been for the last decade? <clears throat> See, we need to train. You need to train. We need to train. Training is this. It's following Jesus by making it a priority to regularly attend church, by having a regular and intentional time of devotion. I'll guarantee you this one thing. If you make the commitment to have a regular, intentional time of devotion, your life will be transformed. 
Your perspective on things will be transformed. You will be more unified with people of the faith, and your relationships will get better. They won't be perfect, but they will get better. So follow Jesus. The second is doing life together. Doing life together. Joining a life group. Joining a life group. I mean, this past weekend we had a marriage retreat, and I'll tell you, it was amazing. Who was at the marriage retreat this weekend? How'd you guys enjoy that? It was good. It was real good. So do life together because in doing life together, we're able to really share and see that, you know what? The experiences that we have, they're not only us. Other people have those experiences as well. Getting in the game. And getting in the game is joining a dream team, volunteering, helping out. And lastly, leaving a legacy by understanding that everything we have isn't ours. Our time, talent, and treasure is his. We are only stewards who are to live with an open hand with everything we have. <clears throat> we are called to be lights in this relationship, lights in our relationships. Ladies, if your husband is far from God, you are called to be a light in that relationship. You are, you are the gospel that he has not read. And there's someone in here, and I, I don't know if he's in here right now, but I think about Arthur Lee. The first seven years of their marriage, she was following Christ. He was far from Christ. And he, had, he just looked at her the whole time. At first, he was probably thinking to himself, is this real? Is this sustainable? But as he saw the light in her, he was drawn to it, and he came to Christ. So, ladies, wherever your husband is, husbands, wherever your wife is, you were called to be a light in that relationship. Parents, your children are looking at you. They're, they, they're eyeballing you. And I'm going to tell you, if you're a parent, the one thing I think we all can admit as parents is we're all hypocrites. We all are. But narrowing that hypocrisy gap is crucial. Kids need to be able to see that the light that you have outside the house lines up with the light they see inside the house. If you're at a job you absolutely hate, people cuss there, they're far from God, don't look at it as an obstacle. Look at it as an opportunity. You, light shine brightest where it's dark. God has placed you where you are for a reason. Shine. Whether you're going to school, whether it's at your job, whether it's at your home, if they're dark places, shine. You need to shine. They need your light. But to be a light, again, you have to have the light. And that light is Jesus. This flashlight right here that has no light, I thank God that he's not a God that just tosses us away, but he's calling out to us day after day, week after week, and month after month. Even though we may feel shame, we may feel like we've been far from him and there's no way he could ever love us, we have a God that loves us. 
that's chasing after us. We have a God that loves us and is chasing after us. You may be hiding from God. You may be running from God. But the thing you have to know is this. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. He knows every hair or lack of hair on your head. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you're thinking right now. And with knowing all that, he still loves you. And that, to me, is the greatest miracle of all, that he fully knows me, the broken person that I am, and that he fully loves me. God has been calling to you to get on the ladder or to start climbing the ladder all over again. If you're ready to step on this ladder, step on the ladder of faith for the first time, or if you're ready to climb up that ladder and go further, I just want to give you the opportunity to make that decision today. And I'm going to count to three, and you can say yes out loud, or you can say it in your head. One, two, and three. Church, uh, let's, uh, let's pray with anybody that may have said yes in their head. Uh, so let's pray. Dear God, we need you. We are humbly calling out to you. We are tired of doing things our way. Help us to start doing things your way. We invite you into our life to be our Lord and Savior. Fill the emptiness in us and make us whole. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to love you. Help us to live for you. Help us to understand your grace, mercy, and peace. In the mighty and magnificent and matchless name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.